When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're talking real money. Hi, everybody. Don here. Welcome to the Friday Q&A show. A day early on a Thursday. The reason being, I am actually going to take a paid holiday on Friday. Since it is a paid holiday for people in the financial (laughs) services business. Why? I don't know, but it is. Uh, so I'll be taking Friday off. I'll be actually taking the weekend off to spend time with my family. And Tom will be doing the show with Paul Merriman on Saturday. And you can call them on Saturday. The i got to check my dates out. That'd be the 16th. Oh, yeah, of course. The 16th of April, you can call Tom and Paul between 3 and 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific, at 855-935-TALK, just like you call us with your questions here at Talking Real Money at 855-935-TALK, or you send them in at TalkingRealMoney.com, and just use the contact form where you can actually speak your questions to us. So we're going to take some of those, some that were called in, and hopefully we'll answer a lot of questions in the order they were received. We think that's the most fair way to do this. So in the order they were received, let's start with a uh, call, so to speak, that came in through TalkingRealMoney.com using you know, a computer microphone, which is kind of cool when you think about it. Hi, I just wanted to relate my great experience with Vestry for a portfolio checkup. Um, I'm 54. Uh, I've been listening to Paul Merriman and, and Talking Real Money podcast. I'm a FERS employee, and I use the TSP, Thrift Savings Plan, 15% Roth, 401k, and 5% traditional 401k with a 5% match that goes into the traditional. Currently, I was 19% G fund, 5% F fund, 24% C fund, and 36% S fund, and uh, 16% I fund international. Um, Also, have a small fidelity account, which I'm 20% large cap. Uh, blend and 20% large cap value, 20% small cap blend, 20% uh, small cap value, and 20% international small value. Uh, Sean recommended that maybe I had uh, a little bit too risky of, a, of, a, of a allocations, so uh, he was really nice, and we, we talked a while. Um, uh, good employee, good asset for the company, I believe. Um, he recommended that uh, I bring it closer to an 80-20 split with uh, 32% C, 20% S, a little more international, 28% I, and 20% in the G fund. Uh, it was just nice to have a professional kind of confirm what I had already been thinking. And, um, hey, thanks for the show. Appreciate it. Uh, take care. That literally was the next call in order. and. That was very nice. Nice comments. Thank you so much. Um, Sean is very good at what he does. And 
just for all of you who think, uh, when these guys say they're going to give me free help, they're just trying to lure me into a sales pitch. No, that's not what we do. We have always believed that we got to help everybody because that's the only way we're going to stop or at least reduce the amount of abusive advice that is perpetrated in this industry. And we wish everybody would do that, that everybody, every fiduciary advisor out there would say, you know what, call us, we'll give you some time for free, truly free, without any expectation of gaining a client. Because we found that, well, it actually works. We gain clients because people go, well, you, you weren't lying. No, we, we don't lie to you. We tell you the truth. Uh, so yeah, Sean, I think Sean gave some great advice. I mean, looking over what he, uh, what you showed him, you were very, very, very heavily equity oriented. Your, your, uh, your balance is pretty good between the various equity classes, but you certainly were missing more fixed income, more of that stability that will someday we believe come in handy. No guarantee, but we believe it will come in handy. Oh, and just so everybody's happy with the regulatory stuff that goes on in this industry, I have no idea who that person was, is, and I don't believe that person is a client, and I certainly know that person was not compensated. So thank you for those kind comments, and, you know, Sean is a great guy. He really is. He, we've got some terrific advisors. If you want help, remember, you can just go to vestory.com um, and set up an appointment with somebody. They will help you, I promise, for nothing. You're not going to get pushed into becoming a client either. It's really pretty simple and straightforward. Uh, once again, our phone number is 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. You can call in questions to that number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we just take them in order, come what may, the good, the bad, the whatever. And here's our next call. Hi, my name's Anita. My dad and mom are going to give me 100000 and I'd like to retire within two years. I am currently 65, and I would need some of the money monthly. Um, in my 401k, I have about 280. So, would it be a good time for me to retire in two years? Thank you. Hi, Anita. That's that's a very nice gift. $100,000. And so now, going into retirement, you're going to have a portfolio that's worth, we hope, about $400,000 in a couple of years. If it's invested right, it'll be in that ballpark. So here's what that means for you if you invest it properly. That means your portfolio can, without likely drawing down your principal, Likely, again, there are no guarantees, but it can probably create for you about a $1,500 a month additional income stream. The rule of thumb is 4 to 5%. So that works out to, uh, you know, about 1300 and change to about 1600 and change a month. Add to that. You're, because you're going to wait until full retirement age, it sounds like, add to that 
your Social Security at full retirement age and any other pension money you have coming in, and that will give you the number on which you can budget. So let's say you get $2,000 a month from Social Security and $1,400 a month from your investment portfolio, again, depending on how it's invested, you're now looking at $3,400 a month. If your lifestyle can be supported by $3,400 a month, you're in great shape. In essence, about $41,000 a year. Uh, And that's how you figure it out. That's the only way to do it. If you have pensions and you can add that in, you're even more comfortable. But that's how you know. You've got to make sure you've got your expenses under control and you know what they're likely to be in retirement. And then you factor what that income is. And again, the number is 4 to 5% we think we're comfortable with if the portfolio is invested between equities and fixed income in a relatively safe but diversified manner. And you don't go crazy. You don't play games with it. You just take out that systematic 4 to 5%. And the five is actually, you wouldn't adjust that for inflation. The four, you would probably adjust for inflation. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you so much for the call. We appreciate it. Again, the number, 855-935-TALK. You can also send questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. And here's another example of the TalkingRealMoney.com kind. Hey, Don and Tom. This is Raj from New York City. How are you guys doing? Love the show and thanks so much for the excellent advice. My question relates to the bond portfolio. I've heard you guys mention multiple times that you recommend the treasury bonds for that part of the portfolio, both the intermediate term as well as the short term. So I'm considering going with a combination of VGIT and VGSH in a 50-50 split for my bond portfolio. I'm considering doing this over the BND in my taxable account. Can you guys let me know what you think of this bond portfolio and whether it's something that sounds good to you? Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Hey, Raj, thanks for the call, but do me a favor. Get a better mic. You need a better mic. That is not a very good mic. If that's the mic in your computer, it's really awful. Um, You might want to just get a little external USB mic. Uh, it'll improve the quality dramatically, but uh, that that one's not very good. But thanks for the call. Uh, VGIT, the Vanguard Intermediate Term Treasury ETF, very low expenses, four basis points. Uh, it is, uh, they're both, both. The VGSH is the short-term Treasury ETF. The VGIT is the intermediate term. They're both very low expense. They're incredibly high quality, given the fact that they're all treasuries. They you know, so the the underlying security is close to absolute. Can you lose value? Yeah, sure. The intermediate term is down about six percent year to date. That's what happens when rates rise. But remember, the rate internally as they buy new bonds is increasing. So as your value falls, your income is rising. Uh, VGIT has about a five year, a little over five year uh, duration. And the VGSH, much shorter at 0.2. So, of course, the VGSH is much less volatile. But the two, as an alternative to BND, I think actually are quite good. We suggest BND sometimes just for sheer simplicity because it's got a little higher yield that makes people feel better. 
But because it has that slightly higher yield, it does sport additional risk. And it's a little bit longer duration. Um, but all in all, it's just simpler. But this, perfectly fine. Great way to go and keep the bond portion of your portfolio really, really safe and reasonably, reasonably long-term stable. Thanks so much for the question. I appreciate it. And we've got another one that came in from TalkingRealMoney.com right here. Hey, Don and Tom, just want to say thanks for the show. I really appreciate it. I've been listening for a long time. I have a question about tax loss harvesting in a in a taxable account. Um, I guess I'm just trying to decide. I know at times it's a good idea to take the loss for that so you can use it against your taxes and then maybe wait 30 days and go right back in, especially if you're doing that correctly. But it seems a little bit like market timing to know exactly when to do that, to decide, yeah, this is the right time to take a loss and come back in. Um, I hope that question makes sense. Just trying to find out if there's a method to that or something that you would suggest to know, again, well, when's the time or the appropriate time to take that loss, um, especially if I don't really want to change my portfolio. Thanks a lot. Bye. Oh, my gosh. It, it is almost a, a market timing conundrum. Um, and it's one with which I personally have struggled a bit. I uh, I rarely 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 takes take tax losses uh and if i do i want to make sure that i have another place to go for that 30 days that is not identical to the fund i'm getting out of for example you don't want to go from one small cap value etf to another small cap value etf but if i went from a small cap value etf into a general small cap mutual fund for 30 days that would be fine or a general small cap value ET or no, sorry, small cap general ETF for a while. Uh, that would be fine because it's not the same fund. It's not the same portfolio. There are similarities, but it's not the same. So that should avoid any invocation of the wash sale rule, which is that 30 day you lose the loss rule. Um, I really, my rule of thumb for me mentally is I start looking at about 10%. Um, I don't do it very often. I probably, I probably should do it more often. I, I really should. I probably should should make that ten percent rule hard and fast. But I don't know that there is a rule. It really is more a matter of doing it when you rebalance, and that's probably the best way to approach it is to just do it when you rebalance. And if you get some losses, great. But if you have a gigantic loss and you need it to reduce your your taxable income. Well, you know, 10, 15%, not at two or three. It's just not worth the bother. Because remember, you're going out of your asset class, the specificity of your asset class for a little while, even though you're still going to have something resembling it. It won't be identical. You might lose out. So it needs to be for a very good cause. I need a tax write-off. It's going to help me a lot. And the, the market in which I'm invested is way down, and I'm going to stick with it which you better do. That's your discipline. But rebalancing is generally the time most people do it. Thanks for your question. I appreciate it. And looking at the list here, I think it's, yeah, phone call and then back to the uh, to the website. So we're going to go to one that was called in, 2855-935-TALK, right about now. Hey, I was listening on Saturday when you had the guy on from Boeing who said he was offered a I believe it was a 7% payout from his annuity. And you made the point to him that that's the payout, not the earnings of the annuity. 
and that if his payout is greater than his earnings, they are merely returning his principal to him to make up the difference. I um, I wondered, do the uh, administrators of the annuity, do they report to the IRS the amount they pay you, or do they uh, report the amount you earn on your investments? Because if they report the amount you were paid as your income from this um, annuity, then uh, you're paying taxes on the return of your own principal. Does that really happen? I'd welcome your comments, sir. Thank you. And I thank you for your call, sir. Um, and that is a great question. It's an excellent question. And no, it, it's it's a little bit... They had to simplify it. They had to create a simple rule because, no, the insurance companies do not report how much they make on your money. They don't do that because they're making it. It's not your money anymore. You gave it to them. So what what happens is they take the amount that you put in and divide that over your life expectancy. So let's say your life expectancy is 20 years and you put $100,000 into the uh, the annuity. All right, so let's say you put $100,000 into an immediate annuity. And the actuarial tables that they use, that the IRS have approved, say you have a life expectancy of an additional 25 years. So that $100,000, they're going to pay you $5,000 a year on that. And according to that 25-year life expectancy, you're getting about 4000 a year back in principal. So for the first 25 years, if you live past that 25 years, the first 25 years you're going you're gonna to have a taxable income of $1,000 a year, with the 4000 being return of principal. In the 26th year, every single cent will be taxable every single cent because they're going to figure you've gotten your principal back now. See how that works? So they don't they don't calculate what the insurance company made because the insurance company's plan is to make a lot more than uh, they're paying you. A lot more. That's why they do it. And they play the odds that you'll die sooner than later. Because remember, if you die before the 25 years is up with just a simple immediate annuity, you get, and your heirs get, well, yeah, you'll be dead. Your heirs get nothing. <laughs> Thanks for the question. It's a good one. Uh, again, our number is 855-935-TALK, and you can also send us questions anytime at TalkingRealMoney.com. Much like this final question for the day. Gentlemen. I was listening to one of your podcasts recently. It was one of the Q&A shows, and I don't exactly know when it was. I don't always listen in order, so it might be a little bit old. One of the listeners asked a question. The question was, how do I know when it's time to find a new financial planner? The problem was you didn't answer that question. You answered your normal question of how do you find a fiduciary financial planner, but it didn't address the issue that the person raised. How do you decide when it's time to switch financial planners? I was really hoping you were going to answer that question because it is a really good question. And just because you can find one that is a 
fiduciary doesn't mean it's the right match. So that's really what I'm wishing you guys will re- revisit and answer the actual question that was asked. Thanks. Honestly, I don't even remember that question, but I believe I'm sure it was asked. I've just answered so many questions over the years, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to not just answer that question, but over answer that question because it is a good question, but it's like so many. It's complicated. It's really complicated. Um, And I'm going to preface this with the following examples. Let's talk about finding the right one. I'm not going to tell you how to find a fiduciary advisor, but finding the right advisor. How do you find the right spouse? How do you find the right employee? How do you find the right friends? It's certainly not a scientific process or there wouldn't be bad marriages, terrible employee-employer relationships, and bad friends. So it's very similar on the on the reverse, on the obverse, you get rid. I'm going to skip the spouse part. <laughs> We're not going to go there. Let's talk about employees. Let's compare because, you know, that is an, an apt comparison. It, it's a pretty similar situation. When you work with a, uh, an investment advisor, a financial planner, you're hiring a personal employee. You're hiring someone to manage a big chunk of your life. Like you hire an attorney or you hire an accountant. And you get rid of them for very similar reasons as to uh, the reasons you would get rid of an employee. They're not doing their job as you expected. They're not communicating properly. They're failing to carry out your wishes properly. They're not working hard enough on your behalf. And like much like that, you probably want to make sure before, because you, you probably went to a lot of work to find this advisor at least if you really went through the process that we spell out, you did. You know, if it was just a friend you met at church, no, you didn't do a lot of work and you can fire them. But if it's somebody in whom you put a lot of effort, well, then you might want to do as you would do with a problem employee. You want to sit down and talk to them and say, here's what I expect and I don't feel like I'm getting it. What can we do to make that better? How can you make me feel better about this situation? If you don't like their answer, fire them. Fire them. If they continue to do whatever it is they're doing, fire them. It is an at-will relationship. You need to be happy with them, but it's not. We confuse being happy with a financial planner advisor with who's going to make me the most money. And and that's a terrible measure. And I think that's how most people measure. And I, it's, it's really a mistake because what you're going to be doing is chasing hot hands. Whoever has just been the hottest. And we've done a lot of shows on this. You don't want to do that. You don't want to look at their performance and go, oh, well, you're doing worse than this guy I talked to. My friend has this great advisor. No, you, gotta, you can't compare apples and uh, persimmons or apples and... Uh, onions. I mean, there's no, you know, they're not necessarily the same. You got to compare, are they, I'm not even beating, are they performing in line with my expectations that were laid out in the initial conversations that we had together when I hired you? Are you meeting those expectations? Then talk to them about it. If you don't like it, 
boot them, find another one. I think that's pretty much it. There are few objective reasons to get rid of your advisor. I mean, okay, they steal from you. That would be a really good reason to get rid of them and to uh, have them arrested. But uh, unless they're misusing capital, there are very few objective reasons. They become more subjective because it's a personal relationship, which is why I use those other examples. All right. Thank you for your questions. Thank you all for your questions. We are pretty much caught up with all the called in and spoken in questions. So you can probably be assured if you get yours in soon that you're going to get them answered next week when I'm back in the studio. The other couple of things I want to mention, uh, I've got, we got one review mentioning that, that you didn't like the archive shows. I put up the archive shows with a statement on in the description that it's an old show and a statement at the beginning of the podcast now that this is an old show, so you don't have to listen to them, but there are a bunch of older podcasts that got lost when we moved from one podcast service to another. And uh, about a year ago, we found those. So they haven't been up at our podcast service. So every now and again, I will edit one up and put it in. Remember, I'm doing this all by myself. So it, it's, it would be a huge job for me to put them all in one big archive. So I put them up every once in a while so that they become part of the process. Look very carefully at the notes. It will tell you whether it's an archived episode. Look at the title. At, in the title, the first part of the title of an archived episode has a date. It'll say like February 20th, 2017. If you see 2017 in the title, that's telling you it's an episode from 2017. And yeah, a lot of the market information is dated, but most of the advice is timeless. And there's some things that might be very helpful. And a lot of people have said are helpful. So we're going to continue to do those, but I wanted to let you know, those of you who've complained about it, or the one of you who wrote a review about it, that that's what we're doing. And they are well, well noted as old episodes. Don't listen. Throw them away if you don't want to hear them. But I know other people do. So we're going to keep doing that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put a couple up in the next day or two for uh, the Easter Passover weekend. All right. Are we good? I hope. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate you being there. A couple of things. One, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast service. If you like us, tell us you do. Leave a review. Share your favorite episodes on your social media. And if you want to watch us, I don't know why you would, but if you do, go check us out on our YouTube channel, which is Talking Real Money, and subscribe there, too. Thank you all so much for being there. Have a great holiday, those who are listening before the holiday. And if you're listening after the holiday, have a great whatever the next holiday is. That's the way podcasts work. All right. Take care of yourselves. I'm going to take a vacation, but I can guarantee you along the way, I will probably be at least thinking real money. 
you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. As you keep the lawyers happy.